Hello, people. We're live. Soccer Dad Pod is back here. Got a really special little episode today. Back in the old 62040 with uh, some really incredible individuals on a lot of different levels. Um, This is going to be a fun one. Uh, Music always matters in our podcast, as you well know, and that's... I couldn't have given you a better clue than that one today. Um, real quick recap. Love the follows. Keep them coming. Apple Pod, Spotify, all of them. Click the follow. We love reviews because that tells us how good and bad we're doing. And we, we love the bad ones because, you know, you always have room for improvement. And we can't just have our wives yelling at us all the time. So jump into the party. We're cool with that. Um, want to thank uh, Ricky Garza our guest from the last episode for coming on, enlightening us on all things uh, club, uh, sporting club uh, St. Louis, their new endeavor with the NPSL uh, and more. Um, Thank you, Well Spent Brewing, for helping us out, keep this thing going and uh, pouring cold yellow beers. Uh, You you do an exceptional job at that. So I'm really not going to waste any time today. I'm going to get right into it. I have uh, two guests with me today. I'm here in my alma mater, Granite City, at Pavia's Place, the home of the best, surprisingly best cauliflower crust pizza in the world, if you're into that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, You know, guest number one that I'm going to mention had an an incredible impact on my life uh, in a lot of different ways, soccer being number one. Education number two, and just life in general number three. Uh, he's had this impact on probably hundreds, if not thousands, of others just like me. Uh, guess number two is probably the, the 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 prodigal son. If if I have the Godfather on my right, I have his number one capo on my left. Um, without further ado, I have the coach Gene Baker and the Mr. David Fernandez, gentlemen. Thank you for uh, agreeing to this nonsense that is the soccer dad pod <laughs> how are you doing today thanks for having us yeah no problem help if i unmuted you you can say that again thank you jb <laughs> no, no i'm just joking uh we here we are on saint patrick's day uh in in pavia's place uh coach you walk in in your ireland hoodie sweatshirt oh, yeah. so, I, I, feels to me because you're an extremely organized structured human in your in your life in your coaching style do you have an agenda for the day oh i did at one time getting older uh it's very it's changed uh i grew up in the tavern business my father had 19 different taverns throughout north st louis and one in south st louis grabway and mckenzie and um it was quite an interesting life met so many actually really good people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, w- I would be doing my homework if I were doing it at 10 o'clock at night in my dad's bar waiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, as a teacher, coach, I also um, and owned a tavern, a couple of them, yeah. through my career. Is that where you went to kind of wash your hands, your brain, your stress 
from all the pain that us mm-hmm. y- youth provided you. <laughs> Frank, <laughs> frankly, it usually caused more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because we, you know, that generation, um, we had Julie Softner on, uh, Julie Scott, maiden name, Jim Scott's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Northsider, uh, North County. I started, remember Jim very well. Yeah, started the club. You know yeah. Scott Gallagher, and she she told the story about uh, Jim and, and his partner through the club. One of their first major purchases was actually a tavern, so, so that the families could could meet post game, post tournaments, post trips, and mm-hmm. yeah. As you get older, you're full of stories. I could give you, and especially as an English teacher, I could give you a book full of stories from St. Patrick's Day alone. <laughs> yeah. And all of them are pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Are they, well, are they uh, PG, PG-13, or NC-17? Actually very good-natured. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Then, way back when, when I was a kid, my father would always have free corned beef and cabbage on St. Patrick's Day. Nice. And I'll tell you a quick story. I recall as a kid, my dad's first tavern was at Blair and Destrahan. Most people wouldn't even know where that is. That's downtown north. And a man would come in there every St. Patrick's Day. He was an Irishman. He was a pipe smoker. He didn't drink. He would come in for the cre- free corned beef and cabbage. So he was, and, a, and he was eat, a unicorn. <laughs> and he would eat two orders and then leave. So as a kid, I would watch, observe this. So when I'm 21, across from Calvary Cemetery, Union West Larson, my father and I are sitting there, and I said, Dad, you see that man coming in here? I've been watching him since I've been a little boy. He comes into your place only on St. Patrick's Day, he gets two, at least two orders of food, usually takes one with him, and does not spend a thing. And my dad's answer was, must be good, huh? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> good corned beef. Because he was, yeah, right. He's pretty selective on where he goes to pay nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, there must have been something in the spice, right? <laughs> so, well, uh, the, the whole North County relationship, um, you know, and, and try, chime in here, because you probably know as, mu- as much, if not more, than me in these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the... This, this show, we've, we've been lucky to talk to a lot of individuals that have had a huge impact in the game. And one of the common denominators that I, I've always kind of known about, but it's become more apparent, is the role that North County has played in the historical re- relevance to the game in St. Louis proper. Um, y- between yourself, Coach Mickler, Villa and the McBrides and you know we just talked about Jim Scott what was in the water you know what what's what what was going on up there or what was the relationship to the game from your viewpoint that you know resulted in this kind of uh, permeation into the overall community then it was a thing that evolved from the city to the county and it was a basic of the Catholic Church. So it was considered a sport that you could uh, participate in 
and learn the game, and it was cheap to run yeah. as to equipment, etc. Isn't really that much, that little any longer. Right. Um, but you grew up uh, idolizing old-time guys that knew how to play, and you could learn other things from, and it was very worthwhile. I mean, now, today, there's a big David Wood attest. There's big competition between North and South. And yeah. there were good there were good players and good programs south too. But in North it evolved, I would say, from Saint Matthew's parish to maybe places like um, Perpetual Help. Saint Engelbert, where I grew up, had we had great teams and success and before me. Mm-hmm. Um, then Saint Philip Neri to Nativity and then out to West County more. St. Jerome, you name it. So, so it was really kind of the, the CYC. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Was the incubator. Mm. Um, the, the, the follow-up question I have to that is, you know, let's, and we're jumping around timeline-wise, but why do you think that there were like four, three, four, five of you that gravitated towards the coaching uh, world and spent... And we're a as successful as all of you were, but b the the tenure, the longevity. You know, what was there some kind of like secret sauce? Was there a secret handshake that you guys knew that that, that made it possible? I, I think you fall in love with the game, and and also what you're doing. Um, the people that you're mentioning, one of the other um, unusual qualities is. Most of them tended to be teachers and not necessarily PE teachers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of it that way. Mm. Do you think that the, not to slide PE teachers, but do you think that the cerebral context of teaching English or history and all these other things, did, did that kind of cheat into your coaching style, like from a more philosophical standpoint? Yeah, it helps. Um, yeah, um, Mickler's a Spanish teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, Communicate—that's the big thing. I felt it helped as a an English teacher to be able to communicate with everyone. Uh, now, the shortcoming is you have to prepare class yeah. in the other disciplines. Um, so that's another thing. But the other thing that's a compliment to all of St. Louis is the various people that you mentioned, and there are others that you could mention, their longevity. And why the longevity? Because enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. It, well, it doesn't hurt when you win. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of feeding it. And, you know, David, um, you, you were part of coaches, you know, the earlier years. Because give everybody a frame of reference because there's plenty of people that uh, do know. There's a big chunk that think they know, and there's even more that have no clue. You know, when did your coaching career start? Kind of what years and, you know, how long did the tenure run? Well, uh, I came out of St. Louis U. I played on a national championship team there in 65. And from there, I actually... Uh, coached a, a year at Merrimack. Uh, they were ju- they were they were in their inception. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, my teaching career was one semester at Cleveland High School in the city. Oh, Southside. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, then I moved back north. I was at Riverview Gardens. Started the program there. I coached basketball there uh, and then uh, started the soccer program. Uh, was recruited to come over to Granite by Ruben Mendoza. And um, uh, I've been very fortunate because I had great players, great young men, good, really good parents who made it easy to coach him. What, what year did Ruben bring you over here? Uh, 73. 73, yep. okay. So Granite... Uh, had won in 72 yes. the year before. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then... John Selmar. Right, 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 right. Okay. So let's jump forward to the the number 10 years, <laughs> right? Uh, David, you too. You know, for those of us that grew up in this town, you know, all of us that played the game, touched the game, and uh, under coaches, guys, or... You, you know, later, you, you were the iconic name. You know that, right? Uh, and you can be modest about it. You can, you can wink at me if you want. It's a podcast, so they can't see your facial expressions. <laughs> it's all good. Um, when you were a child growing up in this town, a uh, couple quick questions. Number one, your early influences when it came to the game. Uh, you know, who, was, who were you playing with or under? And then as you approached your high school years, kind of, what was going on for you, and what was your early um, uh, interactions with Coach, you know, going into that freshman year? Well, interesting enough, um, the year he moved to Granite to coach, like he said, 1973, was the year my family moved to Granite City from Fairmont City, where I grew up, and we moved here in 1973. Uh, the reason being my older brother Rick was about to become a freshman in high school and um, my mom and dad did weren't interested in the schools of choice that we had living in Fairmont so we started looking they started looking around the surrounding area settling on granite and uh, we moved to granite in the fall of 73 the same uh, same year coach Baker came uh, something in the water huh? well int- it gets a little bit more interesting I, I feel like fate played a big <laughs> part of my brother Rick and I uh, having an opportunity to not just meet him but play for him as well but in, in that year 1973 uh, I was going into fifth grade my brother was going into high school and my mom and dad started looking for houses in the area where we were going to move to so the first couple months maybe the first couple weeks of the school year we were commuting from Fairmont to Granite uh, we we're going to and my mom and dad were looking for a house. And they found a house on the north side of Pontoon Beach Road, which also 1973 was the same year that Granite City North started. Right. There, there were going to be two high schools, Granite City North, Granite City South. My mom and dad had no idea which was which or whatever. We were just looking for, for a school to my brother to attend. So they found a house uh, in the north side of town where if we, if we would have moved in there, my brother and I would end up going to the Granite City North. But literally days before we were supposed to move into that house and my brother was supposed to start school, uh, the gentleman who was selling the house to my parents committed suicide in the house. Oh, wow. And uh, needless to say, my mom was not interested in moving to that house anymore. So, so that would have been the ghost of Granite City South past. 
that uh, if you want to look at it that way, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. No, but, uh, but eventually, crazy. yeah, they had to look elsewhere and they found a house right where I just dropped my dad off about an hour ago where I grew up in and it had to be on the south side of town. So instead of attending north, um, my brother attended south and obviously I followed four years later. So uh, that's how we end. That's how we ended up going uh, to Granite City South and end up playing for Coach Baker. So that's crazy. did fate play a part in that? I kind of like to think it did. Yeah, yeah. Because good things were about to happen on the south side of town in a few years. Yeah, a few, a few, right? <laughs> there was uh, something in the water yeah. for sure. Um, so then, prior to uh, your freshman year, um, were, were you playing uh, recreationally locally? Yeah, were you, still, you know. Back, back in the day, and I don't know if it was when you grew up here playing, but the YMCA was everything. It was the rec soccer. We, we, were, uh, we were vests out at Prather, so we, oh, were, we okay. were the land of right. 10 yeah. cent sodas yeah. and orange slices. We were, we were in the land of Steelfield out, oh, yeah, out there, there and, and St. Elizabeth's. That's right. where the two locations where games were. But I started playing with uh, uh, my first coaches in Granite were Laszlo Salish and Gerhard Moss. Oh, wow. When yeah. the old Granite City Steel Credit Union team uh, that I grew up with. And, you know, two guys that obviously immigrated here at some point in their lives and grew up with the game in Europe. And that was my introduction. And then later I played for Ruben Mendoza. So, I mean, and after Ruben, I went to high school to play for Coach Baker. So yeah. uh, what a group of guys to play for leading up between the age of 10 to, you know, high school age. What, both of you have mentioned Ruben. Ruben, obviously, uh, you know, in, anybody associated with game in the region knows the name. Speak, speak to that a little bit. You know, your, your early uh, interactions, Coach, with uh, Ruben. Um, for those that don't know who he, who he was, is um, lay that out a little bit and talk about your guys' relationship early. Well, Ruben uh, had a great reputation uh, in his playing career and um, played internationally a little bit. Uh, but was a terrific player. And you may not even know this. Um, well, based on your grin, I'm going to say I don't know it. Uh, a bicycle kick was called a Reuben. Oh, really? Yeah. In <laughs> North St. Louis. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's him doing a Reuben. And you wouldn't do a Reuben right. But he was one of the rarer people. I can't think of anyone else. It, during his era age group uh, that did bike the ball and could do it. Uh, he was highly skilled. Then I, I would go to see him play as a young man. Uh -huh. uh, now, I, I played other sports, and, which I think helped me. Um, but I, um, I would go to see him play and was great. But when he coached me, uh, coaxed me, into coming over here, I was going up to play with him and some other guys from Granite, um, older men in some cases, Springfield to play competitive games. Have, and it was fun. But I got to know Ruben quite well. He's, and Ruben was really a gentleman, really a good man, good, very nice guy. But I learned that his skills were more diverse um, that I had known. For instance, he was really a, a two-footed player. Um, and he took great, uh, I think, pride in that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I can't say enough about, uh, and a lot of people didn't know that uh, 
uh, Ruben was so instrumental in bringing me over. Well, I can only imagine that conversation. You know, you get the, you get a phone call or you bump into him at one of your... He was refereeing. He was, and he mentions the words Granite City, and the first thing through your mind was, hell no. No, no. 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 Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Hell no. <laughs> People, uh, and I, I was very happy uh, at Riverview Gardens. Uh, many good kids played for me, and uh, but it was... This was better over here as to the emphasis in the program, the interest. Um, and it was an ideal place. And, and a couple people at uh, Riverview Gardens kind of recognized that earlier than I did. They were saying, you know, you're a good coach. I, I coached basketball there as well. And, at, and then I did the first couple of years here, did, did both. Uh, and it got to be too much as the program grew. And, um, but uh, it, it, Granite City uh, was offered other things um, in a career, and I, it was really fun. That's great. It's, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know Ruben was the, was the cause. Yeah. See, we're learning things. That's what, this, that's what this podcast is about. We are going to entertain, educate, and probably bore at some point, too. But, the, but that's my fault. Um, it, let's, I want to ping pong back and forth here a little bit. Uh, let's get to going into your freshman year. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you were playing under Laszlo and the crew. Uh, you knew Ruben. Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to bet based on this your freshman year statistics that you going into it you were a pretty good player coming out of eighth grade um what was your mindset did you did you two know each other prior to you coming into high school yeah yeah like i mentioned earlier my brother rick uh was a freshman Mm -hmm. uh when i was in fifth grade so uh actually i used to be ball boy for the high school games. He asked me to be a ball boy when I was in fifth, sixth, seventh grade while my brother was, was playing for him in high school. Okay. So I knew a lot about coach and a lot about the program because, you know, if I wasn't at my own practice, I was at their practice watching, yeah. just watching, you know, my brother play and practice and all the guys that, you know, eventually I would play with uh, my freshman and sophomore year uh, that were there at the time. So going into your freshman year, who were some of the other players at that time oh, gosh. that you guys were? I, I remember my freshman year team very well. It was very senior heavy. Uh, we had Mark Goldschmidt, David Goldschmidt, Greg Feigl, Joey Tice, Barry Briggs, Gary Phelps, John Krekovich. I mean, all those guys were starting seniors. Yeah. So it was a very heavy senior latent team uh, that I was you know, looking to step into. So, Coach, to you then, you, you, you know this... You know this dude's coming up the pipe. You have this senior-laden the team. Smile on my face. <laughs> the smile on your face. Yeah. What, talk about year one of you and David's high school relationship. Well, he started from the beginning. Yeah. Um, his skills were almost all immediately becoming legendary. Um, I don't know if David would remember this. There was a, um, a writer, Bob Emig, good writer, loved soccer, kid when it died, a young man. Uh, but he took an interest in our program, and somehow we're talking one day, and we're waiting for the start of a game. I don't know if you remember this, and I said, hey, David, 
hit the crossbar. He hit it nine out of ten times, and he wasn't in school yet. And Emig never forgot that. He would always talk about it. So the, the, the legendary story, I haven't heard that one, but the legendary story I've heard is, what was it, like 10,000 head juggles while you were More. on a number, number yeah. two? Were you do, going number two, or were you actually outside in public? You know, because it's oh. one of those things, you get in a circle, you know, and by the time it gets to the end, yeah. you were doing it in space. But, uh, uh, it's one of those Liberty Valence things, when the legend becomes a fact, print the legend <laughs> kind of thing. So, yeah, there you go. A lot of those, not so much. So What was your, what was your best count? I quoted that the other day for some reason. I said that you won as high as 16,000 in the competition, didn't you? Uh, no, it, was, it wasn't the competition. It was probably the backyard when my brother and I were bored one day and we went outside and... Was there said, a witness? Said, was there, would he validate it? Just Rick, my brother, yeah. So you guys were some tight. neighboring kids around the fence or whatever. But. See, because I, I, I had 33,000, but my brothers denied it. So I, I have no proof. <laughs> Different relationship. No, no. It, but it was just one day, I, Rick says, why don't you just start? I'll count. And it, it just started there. And I don't know, maybe between 10, 12,000. It took, took a while. Yeah, it's crazy. But again, we, we were bored and we didn't leave very, very, you know, adventurous lives as kids so well i think we all you know to do there, i mean this town you know during those years and even up you know through really my siblings younger siblings through the early 90s it, there were things to do but let's be honest it really was about the backyard it was cyclone fences that were the goals it was wilson park you know at the uh, uh west side of the park on you know after school i mean th that's what we did that's what everybody did yeah and that's you know, changed yeah, it's changed considerably. That's non-existent anymore. That, that shows. It, yeah. And if you remember that I would have the informal summer <laughs> fun at the park. Yeah. And the, the guys took it serious. It was good. You kind of police yourselves. Good competition. But you don't see that anymore. It's no. kind of like when you know a neighborhood's good for basketball and you drive through and you see that there's all kinds of kids playing on the on the court. Yeah. Uh, are they playing another game? Right. You're not going to be good unless you're playing. Well, I think that this is a whole other topic, whole other episode, but it, you know, that the, the, the growth and the relevance and prevalence of uh, club soccer in particular, and, and now with the academies being what they are, it's, it's just different. You know, oh, yeah. um, so I, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get back to uh, your years, David, and kind of, you know, your your, your first championship, championship, state championships. Um, there was magic in the water. Uh, clearly, there was a run. Dave, you were at the heart of it. You know, Coach, talk about those years, the, the first three, four, right? Um, what was going on, you know, because you'd been at the school now since 73. Um, how many years till your first state championship and kind of – the, the, the defining factors or attributes to those years, what was going on? 76 is when we be, begin a good run. And we run off five straight state championships. And we could have had six straight, but Mark Goldschmidt had broken his collarbone, wanted to play in the state tournament. His parents wanted him to play, and I wouldn't let him play because <laughs> I was afraid it would hurt him. And he's the difference. I mean, we lose one nothing. He was a very good player. Very, very good player. Yeah. See, he, he provided defense and offense. Yeah. And discipline. 
So was discipline important in your system? And I'm oh, asking yeah. that facetiously. Yeah. You remember? <laughs> I heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> as, to, as to what we practice, we do. Okay. Things like that. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm having flashbacks here. I might need Nick <laughs> to call in help here. But uh, uh, what we practice, we do. Talk about that. Talk about how your, from a coaching style standpoint, you know, the teams that you've, that you have had over the years, your coaching style, um, because, because I'm going to jump to my years, uh, because I can just speak to that, you know, in, in, from 89 through 93 at that time, club soccer was really picking up a lot of speed. The West side of the river had Bush, it had Norco, it had a lot of clubs that were garnering national relevance. Uh, and then you look at the teams that you were playing during those years that were, you know, top of the pile. That would have been SLU High, CBC, DeSmet, Viani. Um, and in hindsight, looking at those teams, you know, and David, you can, you can speak to this too. There was a ton of talent, individual talent um, at those schools, players that went on to collegiate level and beyond um, at a much, I mean, let's just be honest, at a much higher percentage of a roster than what our teams had. What, what was, what, how did you how did you address that stylistically? What was your coaching methodology to going into these situations where, you know, on paper, you didn't have three, four David Fernandez's. They might they might have. You had one, maybe two, right? How how did you how, how did you coach through that? Well, the big thing is preparation. You're going to have to prepare, uh, but I also try to look at where we were going, trying to go, and what we were going to do about it. And that's one of the things that helped me as a coach was having played a lot of basketball, I believed in scouting when you could. Um, and there were teams such as those that you just mentioned that were a must on the schedule to get prepared for them as to what they do because they feel that a lot of soccer coaches can be terrific players can be terrific people but while they have a great understanding of the game they don't have a great understanding of what to do about a given situation because they hadn't been brought up with that in basketball you have to you scout and you try to do something about the opposition right. to minimize their success. And David would tell you we would do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And as good as he was, they might be obsessed with him, but they couldn't do much about him because they didn't really know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, David, follow, follow up on the same question, you, you know, going into the system talk talk about that experience talk about um kind of the team chemistry uh you know the the, the gritty factor the character factor compounded with mm. the preparation you know it, it explain to those listening what that what that scene was like for you know within the team and moving through those championship yeah. years. Well, just to piggyback off of what Coach just mentioned earlier as far as preparation and what preparation he did, uh, I can say probably 
pretty confidently that back in the mid-late 70s when we had the good run, the, when Granite had the good run of the state championships, there were, not, there were not other coaches doing what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just ahead of his time innovatively, you know, systems of play. He mentioned the scouting. I mean, I can't think of even today, high school coaches, how often they go to other games and watch teams uh, that they're eventually going to play on their schedule and scout them. Not only did, they, did he scout them, uh, or Coach Bunning, who you sent sometimes when we were practicing, uh, Coach Bunning would go and watch a, a game uh, that evening. We would get together in, in meetings and we would have written paper preparation on the teams we were upcoming to play. I yeah. mean, it had strengths, weaknesses, main players. <laughs> I, I remember one time, and you know, English teacher that he is, he likes throwing out fancy words every now and then. Usually uh, we're four letters well, started with know, F no, and ended This one with was K. much, much deeper. <laughs> First time I probably saw the word mercurial because he, he I'll never forget it. I, I even had to look. I don't even, I think I looked maybe to David Paz or Greg Wyatt. I was like, what's mercurial mean? He was describing one of their better players on a team that we were going to play. And, uh, you know, so little things like that, the little things that just, just made a difference in preparation. I don't think anybody else was doing it back then. No, I, I, I agree. I completely concur because it was, you know, as a, as a high school um young high school pubescent teen walking in uh you know you're expecting to play a sport it's it's a game right it's just a game you're gonna you know do some shooting drills do some of this whatever uh but it was the cerebral facet of the locker room of the pregame of the circles that i completely didn't a know existed uh b once i experienced it i immediately realized okay this game anybody can run fast most people can kick hard right but it was that the the mental side of the game was where what was going to separate us uh, and and my question to you coach is the winning menta- mentality once you started uh accumulating the the numbers and the titles and the accolades and the uh alum that were going on and 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 executing at super high levels how did you manage um, communicating to new players that that winning mindset, uh, that the, the the approach? It's like with the standard, and uh, for instance, one of the things that we had done was uh, we want to win the state tournament. We want to we want to be there at the end. We're going to we start off. We don't want to lose a game. When we lose a game. We want to lose another one. Yeah. Simple. But we would have midnight practice to start the season was a great way to kick things off. And we used it as a fundraiser. It caused uh, the players to, to come out uh, early in better shape because they were performing in front of relatives, friends, well, that's schoolmates. P- that's part of the reason. The real reason is anxiety. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fear. I think those midnight practices started my junior or senior year, but it started <laughs> when I was there back in the 70s. Well, for those of you that don't know, midnight practice in most states, but in Illinois in particular, there was a particular drop date in which you could start yeah. your season. And you, in true strategic style, decided, let's exploit that. Let's go 12:01 on the first day. And the idea was, uh, I would tell them, we want to be the first on the field and the last one yeah. on the field. That's the standard. Um, try to get acquainted with Chicago-style play early uh, because that's where we had to go. 
we were complimented by a lot of schools that would say, we were the best except for you. Don't you realize that? No, because we were going after who we're going to have to meet yeah. in the end. Yeah. You know, that's it. Yeah. More pragmatic. Well, I think it, it's funny because I, I'm sure all of us have had these conversations with many of our peers on the west side of the river and, and elsewhere. You know, when you, you, you talk about uh, the, the Southwestern Conference at the time, you know, Granite and Collinsville, it was really Granite and Collins, it was a two horse race, and then it was everybody else for the most part. Um, but whenever these other individuals would say, you know, well, you know, how, where, how did you accumulate the success and who were you really playing and this and that, um, they always forget that we had to go to Chicago to do what we did. Yes. And that, that's kind of a big city. I mean, they, there's a few people there, right, that play the game. Oh, yeah. And back when I played, uh, you know, like Coach said, we always had Chicago teams come down early in the season. Yeah. yeah. We had the Chicago had in Shores. The yeah. In Deerfield, New Cheer East. And every, every year we met those same teams in the state tournament. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, real quickly, let's, let's talk about tournaments, and then we're going to take a quick break. Uh, out of that process, at what point did you decide it was time to implement and then developed Tournament of Champions. What, what was the, how did that start? Where was the thought process? And then who did you call and why? I wanted to bring attention to our players. And by having a good tournament and communicating with the rest of the country as to inviting them, that you would then get other uh, interest. And I would tell them, I'll point out good players from the other schools. So I'm not confining you in your recruiting to just our school. That really helped. It, it became a reciprocal deal. And a guy like uh, Joe Maroney, uh, who was the uh, coach at Connecticut, had won some national titles, was a hardworking coach. And um, uh, Joe would come down for the whole week he would have all this crazy gear for rain, food. <laughs> he had all these, all this preparation because he was the same type on that. He'd come out to practice, watch us in practice. Wow. Uh, he saw us do the deal where we'd flip the ball off the chest on a restart, mm -hmm. and he watched it, and he, he saw it go, and he said, I like that, and I'm going to do it but I'm not going to tell them where I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then it was time to field the teams. Um, you know, what, what were those phone calls like, you know, to t the Terry's of the world and everything, you know, who was on the short list early on and how did you maintain? We started with uh, four teams. Now we did, uh, you know, we did try to get, I tried to get out of the state a little bit, but I'm trying to commit to the idea of a tournament of champions people who had won tournaments yeah and um that worked quite well and we expanded from four to eight quickly two years four to eight to 16 um and one of the then uh the, the sport of soccer was not treated as lavishly as it could be and what, what I did was I got uh, Charlie Hester, uh, who owned the best restaurant in this town and, and the St. Louis area, really, to help me with starting this, providing a really quality meal for the coaches. 
Yeah. So I had the coaches from the various uh, competitors uh, come to a really first-class dinner uh, at Charlie's Restaurant. Right. That was part of it, too. Um, I also tried to get out a program. I did get a program out every year and send it across the country. Nice. Well, I, I remember my years in, um, I think it was 90, the 90 tournament where uh, Viani was on the run, you know, two, I, they, they were like two years undefeated and well, going into those, the finals that weekend and t- 2,000, 2,500 fans there. And I remember you coming into the room and like, in, in that typical pregame, you know, preparation and talk, and you 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 basically just illustrated, you, you know, held up a piece of paper, and it was a list of all the college scouts that were there, and it was like two pages long, you know, D one all the way through, and it was just like an aha moment at that point, like what that tournament was special, because there was nothing like it in the area. There was there was a CYC tournament still going on, um, a few other small ones, but let's be clear, that was. The, the, the crown jewel. What kicked that part of it off was we had just won the CYC tournament mm-hmm. his senior year. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I thought that would be a good time to, to do that. Because mm-hmm. Winning, leaving on a really good note. Mm-hmm. So you're saying all roads still lead back to Dave Fernandez? <laughs> Did then, yes. <laughs> that, was, that, was a good, that was a good tournament. Yeah. yeah. That was a good win. Yeah. Well, awesome. I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Thanks, guys. We're going to uh, be right back with a few more questions and uh, get our St. Patrick's Day going. So we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. JB here with the Soccer Dad Pod. This break is intended to be both informative and an opportunity. Little did you know that we are accepting sponsors. Really. And as a sponsor of the show, you would get to talk to a demographic primarily consisting of parents, some soccer fans, and most definitely drinkers. Consider this an opportunity to let our listeners and social media followers know what it is you do and why you deserve some of their money. If interested in this incredible opportunity, just email us at soccerdadpod at gaslightstl.com. Now, back to the mindless banter. Take the job. Huh. And that's when Tony was first, first, his first starting, his first years there. A little, he'd been there a few years. Yes, and then went off and then came back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Is he, is he going to be coaching next year? Yeah. 50 oh, years? 53, I think. 53. That's unbelievable. All right. Be, uh, what's his name? The DePaul, old DePaul basketball coach. Yeah. And, yeah. I see, you know, I go to lunch with. Keith, Dave, and uh, and Denny when he comes in. Yeah, Denny is such a character. This <laughs> guy played for me at Riverview. His brother would have, and played, and this brother played at the one. Um, Denny made All American for us at Harris. Then goes to Rockhurst, makes All American. His brother Dave What's, goes what, to Blackburn. Lee. Denny Lee. Lee. Okay. Very good player. But really a character and fun. And we, I see them all the time now. He'll get on poor Giorgio, the assistant oh, okay. coach. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you can tell, we are back. 
we have a hot mic and the the stories just keep going so they thank you for listening um i have with me today at pavia's place pavia's place uh the home of the cauliflower crust pizza in granite city and yes i did not make that up it is a real thing uh i I have coach baker with me um and mr david fernandez uh we're talking about you know, all, all, thing, all things soccer, really, uh, as it relates to GC and beyond. So we, we just kind of uh, walked out of the uh, inception and the role that tournament champions played, um, y- you know, a- a- in bringing in state champs and, uh, from other states and then the, the college presence and everything. It really was kind of, uh, it was the marquee tournament there for a number of years in both uh, uh Soccer America, the publication USA Today, had it ranked as number one for a number of years in a row. Um, and here's where I'm going with this, because you come over from North County, out of the pedigree that was over there, Ruben recruits you, you run into early successes with players like David, uh, and you start just, you're really just stepping on the gas, and, and you keep kind of doubling down uh, in... Uh, the results, uh, and then you add the tournament to the mix and all of that. Let's get into some of the minutia. Uh, for example, you said earlier that uh, a uh, bicycle kick was actually called a Reuben. So my question is, who did it best? Which of your players did the Reuben better than the rest? <laughs> Personally, I don't think I've ever tried it. <laughs> and I, know, I know I didn't. David is the most skilled. That's, everybody accepts that, he was. Uh, And he could do many things. In a lot of ways though, for as good as he was as a soccer player and athletically and as a person, pretty conservative as to how he played. Um, Uh, I'm gonna totally interrupt. And David, is that a byproduct of was it just who you were, or was the disciplined um, strategic coaching styles uh, minimize mistakes, play simply that coach kind of presented? I think absolutely. I think it was a product of what he created uh, on a daily basis at training. Uh, it, it was always, you know, we this, we that. It was always a group effort. Everything, it, it, nobody at any point that I can remember was individualized in any way shape or form yeah uh you know and and the one thing I, like i said earlier the, the little things it wasn't just the players that knew their part that that were part of the program uh you know we used to have team managers every year and they were characters uh from year to year uh you know they felt as big a part of the success of the program as any player did so it was the little things like that that just you know it it, it was just everyone involved it was a group effort well, the effect, the effect that those wins had and the, uh, the players and the players' relationship, not only with the city, um, it, it kind of set a tone for Granite City as a whole. Uh, you know, I, as a kid in the 80s, you know, knowing about the wins and seeing it and, you know, going up to the fence and watching the games, that was our Friday Night Lights, you know. How did that make you feel being... Uh, you know, because you're from North County, we've already just you know covered that. But you come over here, you you embed, you integrate, uh, not only as the the coach, but 
a teacher. So you start to know not only your players, but students and families. What, is, what does Granite City mean to you from a community standpoint after all these years and what you did for the city? Well, Granite City's been terrific to me. I mean, when we had a deal uh, through the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, they, they, had, they honored uh, a bunch of us uh, on this side of the river, Jerome Havens being one of them, and at this festivity, uh, Jerome had a good group of 10 or 12 people there. We had 150. Wow. Mm. Uh, that's, and that's a tribute to Granite City. That's not to me. They, they really support. And uh, also our receptions when we would come back from winning the state tournament were pretty impressive. A little ticker tape-esque. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. To take that a little uh, a step further, uh, you know, he mentioned earlier about the midnight practices. <laughs> right. We had hundreds of people in the stands watching us practice on that night. I always thought packed. that. I thought that was insane. Because it even as a young... I mean, parents, students, yeah. I mean, the, the stands were packed at midnight. Potential the, girlfriends, right? I mean, I mean, that's really what it was for now us. Now you're making me think. I don't know. <laughs> there uh, were, uh, but it's just little things like that. That who would, who would think that people would look forward to going to that? It was really weird. You know, it's funny because having a lot of friends and peers that were from uh, neighboring cities that I shall not name, um, you know, they always thought we were just out of our minds with that and and in secret now i know that they were just flat out jealous because they're like they didn't have anything like that and, you know it, it did it set off the season and you knew uh, you know for me it was funny because all schools typically have that you got to run your, your your mile under six or your two miles under 12 or whatever it is right there's always that that pre-season expectation we had the the unfortunate reality of we had to be at the school by what seven eight a.m. first day, after midnight right. practice, which was only five hours earlier. So he's like, you doubled down on the fear. <laughs> so. We charged a buck to get in yeah. for that, mm. and we always averaged at least making five hundred. And there used to be a man who would come to every one of them. He was a real heavy set, pleasant guy that nobody knew, and he would give. The person taking the money, hundred bucks, to just to contribute to it. I wow, never knew that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So, so that kind of like pulled my brain into a parallel here uh, uh, world. Feeney, Feeney's name came up the other day. Uh, you know, when I think about the the role and the effect that the team had, the players, you, the wins on the community, they're they're characters. Talk about you know who's who who are some of those people that helped make it all real beyond the players. David just mentioned uh, that, and I didn't want to interrupt. Have you seen the sign down the block for our school board? David Kessler. No, I Big didn't. Sign. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. David Kessler was a manager. I can't say nothing, but mm-hmm. he wound up a, um, in, he was a janitor in the school district, a nicer guy you'd never meet. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he's just a joy to have around. Yeah. He, Danny McGowan, who passed away, um, many others who we would get them to participate in a one-on-one mm-hmm. and then say, 
who's with this side, who's with that side, yeah. and they'd switch back and forth. It was just wholesome, good-natured stuff. It was community. It really, I mean, it really, it really was on, yeah. on a different level. Um, talking about the wins, um, you had nine of them personally. Um, you had that run uh, of five and, and then spread out up into 90. Um, inevitably, the question's going to come, uh, which one stands out? What year and why? They they all stand out in some well, unique fashion. So so you're gonna try, I, aren't you? You're gonna do. Your I'm best. not gonna let it go <laughs> because you know if my mom were around, I know the answer. Compare you know my brothers. <laughs> so um, th- there has to th- there there's one. There's a story. Maybe okay. Let me rephrase. I'll give you a good story on him. Okay, I'll in, take in it. In the graduate tournament. I'll take it. So we're playing, uh, New Tree East. I have great respect for their program, their players and their coach. Uh, they were on their best year. We're playing them in the finals. Um, David's senior year, I think those guys did things that were uh, beyond their measure on some things and more than was expected of them, led by him. Uh, but um, we are not winning at halftime and we were in like a tent at halftime and we were in the adjacent in the adjacent tent was Nutrier so they heard everything that I screamed loudly Uh, and it was all in uh, Queen's English (laughs) yes Yes. (laughs) and I told David uh, and and I he's been a, a joy he's a Excellent young man, father, you name it. And everybody knows that. But um, I said, you got to score. It can't be just you got play a beautiful game. You've got to score in this game for us to win. Yeah, no, no pressure, right? And, uh, and I said, how can somebody like you, who is so good at this skill and loves this game so much, how can you – let this pass you by. How can you not get what we need? He did. Yeah. He, <laughs> you, you, you remember you, all you that? tied it up, I think, yeah. 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 Did you, did you feel an ounce of pressure? Uh, I wish I could remember, but I'm sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was but, old hat for yeah. you. I mean, but, you know, you, you, just, you just look at it. It's nothing but confidence that's coming your way. That, that's in, just disguised a little bit did, did when it, a coach does that. Did it get to the point, though, for you and your relationship with coach to where uh, it was almost like cruise control because you clearly had the God-given talent. You were in a system with other players that – that, that supported that, that, that buoyed it, right? Yeah. Um, when you go into your senior year, uh, because clearly you're on everybody's radar, um, what, what, what was important to you at that time? How important was that last win as a warrior, you know, and, and how much was your brain already moving forward? Because you're in your fourth year of being in that role. Where, where, were, where was your head at at that point? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned cruise control. I don't, I don't know if it, it was exactly that, but it was, it was just he never let you get past the, the day of. I mean, it was a day-to-day preparation kind of thing. 
uh, you know, like he said at the beginning of the year, every year, no matter what team it was, uh, like he said, he, we wanted to be the first one on the field with the midnight practice and the last one off the field at the end of the state championship game. And, uh, you know, obviously I was fortunate enough to, to have that feeling, you know, the, the four years I was, I was there. Uh, but there, there was nothing... It was nothing you looked ahead to too much. It was it was day to day, and that's how he prepared the teams day to day. Do do, do I, I don't think I don't think he allowed something like that, or at least he didn't allow you to think of something like that. Yeah. Well, so okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna extrapolate and add on to that question for you, Coach, because as I mentioned earlier, uh, the reality of talent pool uh, and the style and players that we would have here. Um, we, we're we're not only are we a steel town, we are a blue collar town, and I think so many of your teams and really the core players were blue collar players. Oh, yeah. What did you lean into that? you know, once you moved, once you moved here, you lived here and you started to see kind of, uh, that, that, that grit characteristic, how much did that affect your coaching style? Well, you could characterize it with the, uh, with the steel mill. Yes. But like when people in our St. Louis would say, why are you going to Granite city? What are you doing over there? And it's, I go in there because they're just like you. They remind me of all of you. They're regular good people. But I was fortunate to have good players with it and really good parents. His mother and father, you couldn't. I mean, his dad was supportive, said, bring them back in one piece, do what you can, you know. <laughs> Break and, that horse. And his mother, his mother would... She was at all the meetings to help soccer. There are a lot of things that went on in the background politically, uh, some good, some bad. But his mom, Chooch, would be there to try to support the players and would have such a polite way about her. She was really a sweetheart of a woman, mother, you name it. And she would say, what do you want, Coach? Yeah. What, what's going to help us? Uh, do we stay with all the other sports going forward on this or do we try to do it alone yeah i chose to do it with all the other sports because i felt it was important for their reputation within their own student body got it yeah. no that's great i i love that um i'm going to ask you that that the worst of all parent questions only I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a little easy on you this time because you wouldn't tell me which was your favorite win. So I'm not gonna ask you what was your favorite player. Give me three. You, you get you get you get your desert island and three ex players. Who are you taking with you and why? Oh, he's gonna take the fun guys, let alone what they did on the field. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, no, I, there were a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell you stories forever, but you can imagine. Um, I, I would name three players. Uh, as I said, David is most skillful. Um, uh, Johnny Van Buskirk uh, had a great pro career, was a pleasure to coach. Same thing, great guy. Same uh, M.O. of his parents. Despite John Sr. being a coach, no problem. <laughs> all, all positive stuff. Right. Um, to... Uh, and to find a trait like uh, Bill Hensey um, is one of these guys that not only did he never have a bad game, he'd never have a bad practice. 
Yeah. This is the type that you want who comes to play all the time. And he, he would do that in the park with no officiating. He, I, I, I didn't know him until uh, Keith, who was our club coach at Elks, you know, one day was like, hey, we're going to have an, an extra coach. And Keith you know, Galing was your coach? Yeah. yeah. Really? And yeah. You, couldn't, you can't beat that. There's, that's the, other, the next guy I was going to mention. Yeah, that's, that's Keith, another one. Uh, I see Keith quite often. He's uh, a tribute to his family, the game, really good player. Yeah. I mean, he was he played professionally. He would and as he would as he would take, soccer hall of famer as well. Yeah, yeah, he would take shots at us as little kids. I mean, like he would go out there and <laughs> we'd be scrimmaging. Danny Clark, Billy, or uh, uh, Brent Dipple, and Jason Max. We all played on the same team, and Keith would always he, he was not going to miss a practice. And I don't think any of us didn't like take the other end of that. Keith too. was an <laughs> elegant player. He was one oh, of yeah. those tall, Smooth. lanky guys just yeah. cruised on the field. Yeah. And, you know, that was the that was the first impression I got when I first moved. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, my brother was a freshman when we moved here. Keith was, that was Keith's senior year. So that was the first Granite City team that I saw that Coach had. Wow. And I, I saw them daily. I went to watch Keith, Donnie Goldschmidt, Mike like Martinez. Four Goldschmidt's yeah. all were really good players. Yeah. What about uh, Adam Itis's? Oh, but same thing. Now, you know the whole connection, the Adamitis family related to the Van Buskirks yeah. yep. and to others. Uh, they're all exceptional athletes. So yeah. let me, one, one more name I want to ask a question about, uh, in, based on my experience, did you ever have a truer goal scorer than Petrovsky? Well, he would be the one I'd mention on that, too. Um, size, shot, skill. Um, good attitude player. The biggest thing I had trying to get him to do that he was really cooperative on was facing the goal. Yeah. Because a lot of guys that play up front have their back to the goal all too often. But he could score. In the state tournament, he hit one from 35 to 40 yards out, and it never was over two feet off the ground. Yeah, I mean he could really hit it. Yeah, we're well, let, a good player. well let's let's pop across the river then. We're gonna we're gonna keep talking names because then I'll tag them all in the post and they'll have to listen and find out what you said about them. <laughs> so, uh, West Side uh, players that just blew your mind seeing them on the other side of the pitch. Oh boy, well I could name any number of players from. CBC's history and St. Louis U highs. Now, um, I tell you this, but, um, a couple of guys that come to mind: Sean Petrosky, the guy that I went through, whose name was Wamhoff, okay. um, to help Sean connect in Europe. Mm -hmm. I also had that same man called Twoman, who was terrific. Yeah. Was a heck of a player. Um, we heard, it, heard of him, <laughs> Twoman. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I think of so many others at, at U-High, uh, at uh, CB, certainly to Smet, um, even places where they weren't as successful as a team, there were couple of really fine players that came out of the Hazelwood School District. Yeah. What about you, David? In your, in your 
<clears throat> tenure in the game, you know, from a high school standpoint, what are some of the names that really kind of stood out to you over the well, years? I, th I think the, the the prominent player back when, when I played was Daryl Duran. I mean, Daryl was a great yeah. player. I mean, Daryl, I think, was probably one of the best, if not the best player of that era that came out. Uh, you know, I had a chance to play with Daryl a little bit growing up uh, as kids. Uh, played with him one year. He went to St. Louis U. We, came, we went into St. Louis U together uh, as freshman recruits. Uh, but yeah, for me, Daryl stand, stands out. And you know, look, he went on to have a great 20-plus year professional career. Right. Uh, he, was just, he was just a great player. He was extremely versatile. Uh, Wasn't player. he in the competition with you yeah, on yeah. the juggling? Yeah, we were we were well. together back in the back who, in the day. Uh, who yeah. who won or need I ask? Uh, I went on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Daryl went on to a twenty plus professional career. Yeah, but but but, but yeah. you're the juggling yeah, champion. Yeah, I mean, let's yeah. be sure to make that yeah, clear. Yeah, um, yeah. Let let yeah. let's fast forward to today. Um, you know, because you you guys are part of the foundation, the fabric that that is St. Louis mm -hmm. soccer. Um, you know, and, and on this show, we talk to so many people that have had literally decades and almost generational impact on club and high school and even pro level and beyond. Um, being part of all of it and you and you get to 2023 and here we are where, uh, you know, high schools are still doing their things. The clubs are clearly exploding. You have the academies that are just the new bright shiny toy for the in the in the on the youth side but here in St. Louis in particular we have an MLS team um that ownership group the stadium uh the the, the everything that they've done it it seems like there are no speed bumps at this point or we haven't seen any in what they're doing where do you see your own role speaking from a broader standpoint where do you see the role of your generations and everything that you guys have done and your peers have done in the process, and what do you think about City SC? Well, City SC is uh, really has some promise and exciting and off to a great start. Uh, Keith Galing, um, David Lee, Dave Ames, yeah. assistant coach, uh, and I, we went over to the pitch uh, the other day to see it. To have, we, uh, we go to lunch every Tuesday, and uh, we chose to go over uh, to the pitch. It's magnificent, and it has something that no other community, large community like St. Louis, could offer, and that is such an extensive uh, soccer history. Yeah. Going way back to, way back before us, and uh, mm. guys who did unbelievably well, uh, that are going into the Hall of Fame now. There's a a, a a guy from Scotland who said was one of the great players of of all time that ever came to St. Louis. He's one of them that's going in now in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Um, but as far as what it's, what it's going to do it remains to be seen. I get a little disappointed when they talk about um, the history of uh, soccer and they act like it's all started now with the pro team. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's really kind of where I was going with this because I think that, you know, this, the, the, in, the, in the past hour here, we've, we've laid out, you've laid out, the two of you, 
uh, stories that are generationally relevant that, that led to the development of many of these kids that are playing now, there are children there. You know, you coached, you know, many of you touched them in one way or another. It's almost like one degree of separation from what's going on. The only real separation as I see it is you have Lutz as a, as a director who clearly is European uh, born and bred and, you know, he doesn't have any relationships to the, to the area other than the ownership group and his job. But the, the team that he's building and the support uh, for the team is really a byproduct of everything that, that, that we've been talking about, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. you know, are, 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 do you take pride in knowing that you're part of it is really the question. Oh, yeah. And I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Completely for them. One thing. By having a rule that you cannot play both. Uh, limits the progress, uh, the opportunity of that player, and the enjoyment of the game within their social framework of school, student body, all that. That's very important. You're, ta- you're talking about the academy limitation yes. to high school. Right. Yeah. Right. Wait, what, it's what, a mistake. You, you care, care to chime in on well, the... I mean, just, just for what we talked about uh, Earlier, I mean, I can't imagine myself not playing on four state championship high school teams if I had an opportunity to play a sport year-round and lose that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like like Coach said, and we we talked about it earlier. It's our culture. School school athletics is a big part of our culture. I get the training year-round. I get the competitiveness. I get I get the probably the exponentially developing quicker as a better player because because of it. But, uh, you know, culturally, it's, it's a little different that, uh, and I hear some kids are going to a certain level to play academy, and everything irons out for them, school-wise, college-wise, whatever, and then their senior year, they're going back to play with their high school program. I yeah. mean, that, that in itself, I see when kids do that, that's saying something. They're missing out. Yeah. They're hearing what they're missing out, and they want to get back to it. Yeah. Uh, so now what, what, what it is with the academies and now what City has as well, I think that's at a different level. Yeah, yeah you, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, you take the St. Louis metropolitan area, right? We have basically two million people all together, right, in the whole big, big circle. Hmm. You're really only talking about 50 kids, right, out of the whole pool. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good, and they would have a significant impact on teams that they would play on. You know, for example, I think Slough High right now has eight or nine of City Academy players, you know, plus Gallagher Academy players that are not eligible to play on that high school team. Well, that would completely change the landscape of that team if they were to play. And, but, you know, what are those kids missing? You know, and, and, and I think that's, that, that's a chicken or the egg uh, debate that a lot of people go in circles because where, at what point do you put player development and pathway above experience and relationships and... How, and I don't mean to come across as, as though I'm bad rapping them because I'm not. Sure. I appreciate what they do. But it still depends upon in that other program. Do they get those practices? Because I, I've been around where they're not pr- practicing during a given week or two or three or more when they could be playing. Yeah. And that's not getting it. Um, Everything that they can be exposed to, let them play and enjoy. Yeah. 
and as I said, the one thing that uh, is a wrap on soccer player of today is that uh, going into the college game, they don't have a, a competitive edge. Uh, who was it recently? Uh, Coach Kalish, actually. Kevin. Kevin brought that up in our conversation. One of the major differences that he sees in prospects recruiting in the recruiting process. And one of the things that he really looks for is um, he assumes that talent is at a certain level, but he's looking for that, you know, that je ne sais quoi, right? Who's, who's competitive? Who knows how to win? Because in the, at the collegiate level now, you know, you look at these players, they come up through CYC, they excel, they're a one percenter. They go into an academy system and they continue to excel. And then they're kind of maybe middle of the pack by the time they get to junior, senior year within the academy. So pro pathway is not on the table. Uh, so now they're looking at the potential of uh, collegiate play. But if they stay in the academy system and, and it's all in that development mode, if you look at that model and that hypothetical player I just described, the last time that they truly competed to win was at CYC. <laughs> so, you know, and that's one of the things like Kalish is, is concerned, not, not concerned, but points out that not enough kids at the higher levels are forced or put into situations in which winning something is the goal. And, and coach, your, your whole career was about winning things. Um, number one, through the state championships, and, and I would assume number two is human development you know instead of player development is human development mm -hmm. well and then you go out and try to acquire scholarships for players because you want to return the favor the immense favors that they provided you uh i i felt indebted to all the players i uh but that all comes from an appreciation of education one of the things in Europe that they feel that they are missing in soccer is an education. Yeah. And we were giving it to them here. And now because of this other thing, I, th I do think that so many of the European and other uh, coaching elements uh, have been terrific. But at the same time, they need to be expanded to uh, the American way and to American coaches. And that should be showing more on our national game now than it is. I, yeah, I'm with you there. I have a question, and we're going to wrap up with this question. This question is for both of you. Mm -hmm. And this is stemming from the insanity that is uh, Rainia Burhalter Gate. Our, our, our national team needs a coach. Who do you take? Who do you like? And why should it be a European coach? Hint, hint. No. <laughs> Go ahead, David. Who, who would you love to see oh, right the ship? Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm familiar with the saga that you just uh, alluded to with, uh, with Burhalter <laughs> and Reina, and that's, that's a soap opera, it sounds like, within itself. Uh, you know, something that I'm sure both of them can look back and say, I, I wish it hadn't happened, but it did, and it's, it's to, the, to where, the, where they are now with it. Uh, honestly, I really haven't given it much thought. I don't know. You know, is it another American? Is there an American coach that uh, hasn't had the opportunity to take the national team uh, in recent years? If there is one, 
one doesn't pop into my head. Uh, I'm sure they're looking internationally. I'm, I'm sure they're looking yeah. for some pedigree as far as, you know, international success and World Cup experience and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. No, so, no one really pops into to my mind. So in the last 24 hours, I don't, I don't know if you guys are on Twitter or other sources, but the two names that are now kind of floating around are Thierry Henry, the Frenchman, and uh, Patrick Vieira, who's just let go from Crystal Palace, yeah. has expressed interest in the team. Uh, so, Coach, question to you. Would you like to see kind of a sh- shift in paradigm and go after kind of European pedigree? Um, for, for example, because the U.S. our roster for the upcoming games, I don't know if you guys noticed, 24, 24 or 25-man roster, one MLS player. The rest, Europe and South America. Mm-hmm. So what would you like to see well, at the top? Uh, I think uh, to go back in time, people like Jerry Eagley, he'd have, he'd have brought us a winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Joe Maroney. There are others um, who who are good, really quality, American-winning coaches. And if they didn't, they'd have found a way to do it. That's the nature of the uh, athlete in them. Um, We're wasting our time in progress for ourselves by not naming more coaches. I think uh, the job that Kalish has done at St. Louis U is remarkable. Yeah. He's doing a heck of a job. Absolutely. Yes. And yeah. uh, deserves some uh, accolades for that. How, how, how proud of you of your man Iggy out there at Akron? Oh, and, you know, Iggs, as you know, Iggy's a gem. Yeah. Iggy's a great guy. And that whole group of guys are terrific. Yeah. Um, but, oh, yeah. And a more humble guy you'll not find. Um, you know, the, the story when he got the job, the coach was looking for someone and said, I'm looking for someone who's a soccer junkie uh, who will not get thrown out of a game. And he said, I'm your man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <coughs> he, knew, he knew the path. Yeah. In a very mild-mannered, oh, discreet, yeah. mi- uh, mouse kind of a voice. Yeah. I mean, I'm your, I'm your man. I'm very proud of Egg. Uh, yeah. But there's so many, you know, uh, I checked a number of years ago. We had like 75 who had gone into the coaching profession from, in some way from Granite. Wow. And I'm sure that now we're probably closer to 100. And I am surprised that you haven't mentioned probably the last time you and I saw each other was <laughs> that would have been Bellarmine University. That was uh, <laughs> when I was coaching at Bellarmine in the early 90s uh, in Louisville. It, and you and I just mentioned this to coach the other day. I believe it was David Kirksey. Yeah. And I don't know if there was a third that came with you guys to visit or if it was just you two. It was the two of us. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, how small our worlds yeah. are, because back then, um, 93, I want to say. Yeah, it was I graduated in 93, yeah. so it was, that, it was going into that year. And then the school that I chose was uh, Marycrest because uh, Dale Schilly recruited me there. Um, and fast forward to last summer, and, you know, when my son made the team, who gives him the call? Dale Schilly. Yeah. And, you know, it's like all these things just constantly are in our universe. Um, but, yeah, that was I – mean, we've seen each other since then, but the fir- our last interaction – was a recruiting trip in Louisville in 93. That's, yeah. 
I remember you guys making the visit. <clears throat> well, gentlemen, thank you. I, I appreciate your time and, you know, the, uh, uh, the stories. And w w if and when you're interested, we'll do it again because I'm sure we only scratched the surface of a number of stories. Maybe we could Keith out, you know, kind of create a new round table. Uh, maybe not every Tuesday, but maybe. He was know. originally going to come down today. Was he? Yeah. And then he was like, not that kid. I'm not talking to that kid. <laughs> Took his wife for a, a lobster dinner. Uh, there you go. Oh, well, I tell you what, let's, let's, let's keep in touch. We'll, 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 we'll bring on some more names because inevitably I know the people listening are going to want to hear more of these stories. So as long as you're willing, we'd love to have you back on. David, uh, we'll catch up because we didn't even touch on, you know, over the other half of your life and career and because no. you're over at Elite FT working yeah, with yeah, J-Mac, aren't Justin, you? who I understand you guys got together last week. But yeah, I mean, we, town. we're yeah. down here. Nick keeps on hosting and yeah. uh, promises not to put Man U on. You and keep on getting that cauliflower crust pizza. Who I would mean, not want to come down? Have you ever tried cauliflower? I did. Actually, there's I've a lot of pretty good. Yeah. It is good. Yeah. But would you have ever thought that cauliflower crust was... But you would think he'd have one ready for us right now when we're wrapping up and yeah, well, yeah, you I don't notice, see anything. You notice how he's anything. like casually walking away. Like, is Bobby working? No, it's Nick is, Nick's running the show. So, well, Coach, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. David, we'll, uh, My pleasure. we'll catch up soon again. Keep doing what you're doing, too. Keep talking to the soccer people. They, you well, got to keep this thing going. We, we know a few of them, and if you can think of others, send them. Yeah. I would love to get Billy and, and Keith on here. That would be. Oh, they'd do it. There, that would be fun. Well, let's do it. Let's let's keep this thing going. And uh, thanks for listening. Give us a follow. And uh, any questions or suggestions, shoot them our way. And get over to Pavias for that cauliflower crust. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time.